Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the soundtrack to a life. And welcome back to the soundtrack to a life. Chris here, introducing a podcast, but like awkwardly, because that's how I introduced this podcast. I don't know why. You'd think I would have improved by this point. I haven't improved. Going on to explain it further, not better. Anyway, with me <laughs> is Naomi. Naomi, tell everybody about yourself for a minute. Well, I just wanted to say that was really well done. No ums and ahs, and I didn't feel as awkward as you did. Hooray! <laughs> My name's Naomi Carmack, and I am a singer, a songwriter, and I host a new 90s music podcast called Dope Nostalgia. Which yes. is very good. I just finished, I want to say, listening to your Prozac one. Oh, did you? Yes. God, that, damn, uh, Prozac were good. Yes, yes. I'm really happy with how that turned out. Fantastic interview, too. Yeah, yeah, it was a really interesting one. Everyone at home should check it out if you want a second podcast in which you talk about mostly old bands. I got three or four, so maybe you do want that. That's true. Sometimes that's all you want. Maybe you don't want to listen to murder mysteries all the time, because that's a very popular format. People love that, those true murder podcasts, hey? Oh, I got a few of those on my schedule as well, yeah. So if you want to listen to four of those, you can listen to four music podcasts as well. Exactly. And Naomi and I are here today talking about the charlatans 1994 album up to our hips i'll be honest this was brought up by current events we're all stuck indoors nowadays and there's not a lot to do i've been making a decent dent in my to read list and i'm caught up on my netflix queue but i do miss going out and doing stuff i miss happy crowd energy and people and music and life i miss going to gigs basically and i suspect i'm not the only one but We can't reopen things until the actual pandemic has calmed down, so we stay indoors and slow the spread and connect with one another as best we can. And one of the ways I've been connecting is through Tim's Twitter listening parties. Every day from 2 until 4, Tim from Charlatans puts a record on. He encourages you to put the same record on right on the hour. He gets the performers who originally made the record to log on and put it on too, and then we all listen to it together via Twitter. We share our impressions and the band reminisce about the making of the album. And Tim winds up dancing around his living room. And for a couple of hours out of the day, I feel connected. Not in the same way I felt at a concert, but in a way that nonetheless is very real and very important. And also in a way that made me wonder, why the hell haven't we covered a Charlatans record on this podcast yet? Charlatans are good (laughs) as hell. Up to Our Hips occupies a funny spot in the Charlatans discography. The Bloom was off the first flower of their success as a Manchester-ish indie dance band. And their big guitar pop comeback wouldn't be starting until about a year later. And this in-between period, scrappy underdog, us-against-the-world type record, is frequently where a lot of bands do their most engaging work. I would suggest that the Charlatans, with their third album, very much qualify as one of these bands. The ten songs presented here showcase a brand very much in control of the music they're making, with a very clear sense of what they want in terms of atmosphere and sound and feeling and a very clear sense of how they intend to accomplish these things. This is a loose, groovy record that works equally well whether you need chill-out music or want to dance around. 
This is a record that welcomes you, invites you in, and makes you feel at home. This is the sound of a band who, above all else, believe in themselves, and one who doesn't sound like they care for a moment whether others believe in them or not. The record they wanted to make, because they knew it sounded good, and that's a beautiful thing. So, Naomi, you'd never heard Up to Our Hips by the Charlottons, and now you have. That's what do you correct. Think? That's correct. Well, this is generally a, a genre of pop rock type of music that I don't listen to, so it was a departure from my norm. I have questions about the band now after listening. For instance, from the album work that's presented in the Spotify, um, what does the female in the band do? They, it's a duo on the cover. It is so. not a duo. It is a five-piece that does not <laughs> involve either of the people on the cover. Oh, my. <laughs> my goodness. Okay. That is a piece of art that they contracted for this record. There are five or six members of this band. So that wasn't uh, Tim then. All right. <laughs> no, that, that no, was that not Tim. Tim. Okay. All right. Well, the album cover art. Two people thought they were the band. Bad assumption. All right. I definitely spent a portion of the 90s believing that the Charlottes were a duo. Hmm. So you are not the only one there. That is a piece of album art that if like the internet doesn't exist and you just hear it on CJSW at one in the morning and then buy a copy of it yeah. at Hot Wax, you don't know anything about them yeah. other than the lyrics to the songs and where, that photo. Where I usually now that we have the Wikipedia, I usually will be like, hmm, let me look them up, which I did not do in this case. So okay, now, now you, you're informing me, which is good. I did the same with the record you suggested for uh, two weeks from now. I went in an extremely blind because I wanted very raw huh. impressions. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's exactly how I wanted to do it. I still hope that I can add value to the conversation as a fact that I don't generally know much about this this genre. I believe that they have like, where are they from? They're from the UK. Uh, they are from the UK. They're from uh, they're not from Manchester, but they're from near Manchester. They definitely have the sound of that time. That was coming out of there. Um, is there something I can't even describe? I don't know if it's the tone of the guitars, the way the the songs are written melodically, that is a very specific to the UK sound. Yeah, absolutely. This is them transitioning from they were almost like a dance act for their first couple of records because all of the indie bands of that period from that area were also dance acts for some reason. And then... There were a couple of really big, really guitar-forward records that came shortly after this, where they transitioned to more of a like traditional power pop group. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I, I gotta say, overall, the musicianship was fantastic. You can tell that they're a tight band who've played together for a while, know what they're doing. Now, I haven't seen them in any live situation, but as far as from studio work, that very well-written um, musical pieces. The parts flow well together. The bass player is phenomenal. They got an excellent bassist. There's more I'll elaborate on that later on one of the tracks. But from a musicianship yeah. standpoint, very very well done. Yeah, and I love the uh, I love the organ. I love their use of organ. Yeah. On this record, I don't know why, but in Spiral Carpets, we're doing a similar thing at the time. Uh, just doing dance beats, but with a Dorsey sounding 60s Hammond organ <laughs> was an idiom that people were subscribing to during this period. Oh, yeah. Hammond organ was quite popular. Even like Wurlitzers were being used quite a bit. And it's funny that you mentioned the doors because 
I'm not a Doors fan. I'm one of those Doors haters. Sorry, folks. But yeah, it's not something that appeals to me, but they sure did use a lot of that organ. They surely did. And you never need to apologize for bashing the Doors. We have... We have a strong policy here on the soundtrack to a life that you do not have to bash boomer bands, but if you choose to bash boomer bands, we will fight to the death for your right to do so. (laughs) I I like it here already. Okay, cool. I have in my life done enough drugs that I think that Pink Floyd are a magnificent band. Mm -hmm. I will never do enough drugs that I think Jim Morrison is a poet. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. But yeah, it's like a, it's a really distinct and unique sound with the organ. Like it's got like a 60s garage rock kind of feel. It's unfortunate the gentleman playing it, uh, Rob Collins, passed away a couple of years after this came out. And oh. you can really hear his absence on some of the later ones. Their later ones are still excellent, but that's probably why they wound up pivoting to a more guitar so, type so of sound. Because he was kind of irreplaceable. Like you okay. needed to find a way to move forward without him. I admire that. That's a hard thing to do, to make the decision to sacrifice that part of your sound for the fact that you can't replace them. I get it. Yeah. Lots of bands try. Lots of bands try, right? It frequently does not work. Especially if it's a lead singer. Forget about it. Yeah. And and like something so central to the sound on this, like when it crashes in on Come In 21, and it all just sounds really loose and vibey and like the best house party in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that was a great choice for the first song on the album. You're right. The entrance to the album, I enjoyed. I really thought the... Okay, no, when I listen to music, I should give a background on what I'm listening for. Um, I tend to value melody, vocal melody especially, over lyrical contents. I don't really care that much what the song is saying. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. Sometimes, depending on the context. I found that with this whole album, very difficult to hear what the lyrics were saying in many of the tracks overall. Um, And that's something I noticed right off the bat. But with Come In number 21, I thought the melody was very strong on that verse, that initial verse, very, it grabbed me right away. But then by the time we started getting towards the chorus, I I couldn't really find the chorus. Hmm. Yeah, no, it wasn't. But I thought the, the, the verses were really well done. Like I said, trying to sit there and listen to and understand what they were saying. Maybe it's the, I felt that the vocal was a bit buried in the mix as well. But I, I really couldn't make out what the message was. I'll buy that. That's a very, that's a very 90s production decision mm-hmm. for them to make. Because like a lot of uh, material from especially the like medium 90s was mm-hmm. burying the vocals a little bit lower and then bringing in a lot more reverb to cover everything. And also he's singing in an accent, which... Yeah, exactly. I've never had a problem with following what he's singing when I listen to it. But also, I've listened to this record conservatively 300 times rather than three. Yeah, no, exactly, (laughs) exactly. So some of it might just be that I know all the words to I'd never want an easy life if me and he were ever to get there. Granted, did you not have the lyrics in, in front of you while you were listening to the album at times? Sure, but do you read the lyrics while you listen to an album on cassette? I did back in the day. I don't anymore. But I, I mean, like, if it was an album I was really excited about that just got released, and I'd come home and I'd be reading the liner notes and such while while I was playing it for the first time around, there was times when I would do that. Oh, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. I, I have actually done that on things I'm listening to if I have the thing that we're doing the listening party of the day for. 
on vinyl. Yeah. I'll read over the album notes while listening to the two dudes from the Libertines talk about the album that broke their band up. But like, and acknowledging that the, making the album broke their band up, but also they're cool now. And I think too, <laughs> that was it's a like really fun one. When you actually are reading the lyrics after you know the story of what happened, you are also looking for insight into what happened. You're like, oh, maybe they were writing about something that I can read between the lines and figure out what went wrong. Yeah, that's very true. And then you find out that, for example, I Never Want an Easy Life was about Rob going to prison for accidentally being the getaway driver in an armed robbery. Accidentally? Yeah, his uh, he was giving a ride to a friend and his friend nipped out to run a quick errand and that errand was armed robbery <laughs> and then he came back you got in the need car. better friends you may, need be- <laughs> you may need better friends at that point in your life um, of, uh, i'm just watching in the binge watching i've been watching that show shameless oh how is that it's depravity at its finest i absolutely love it there is a moment where that does happen to somebody where they are going along well they're robbing a store and then they get abandoned and stuck there as the one who did it when they didn't kind of thing. So, yeah. Anyways, I didn't know that happened to the, this Rob person, this fellow. Yeah. Which, like, puts a weird spin on a song that previous to finding that out was just the thing that I run to the window and throw my head out and scream along, how does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> and well, just, that's... like, a great one-two punch. Like, I never want an easy life and can't get out of bed. These two songs are related to each other? They're not related to each other. They just work as like a couple of really snappy pop tunes from this period for me. Like Can't Get Out of Bed is the first song by Charlatans I ever heard. Me too. Actually, the only song on the album where right away I go, oh, I know this, was Can't Get Out of Bed. Yeah, that was like a giant college radio type situation for a little while. Yeah, that Uh, that one was familiar. It's what they were good at in 1994. Yes. Like Can't Get Out of Bed is the kind of song that the sort of people who like the charlatans are going to live and breathe and love. But it's also the kind of song where no matter what type of music you're into, you're going to like it a little. Yeah. It has that hip quality that uh, it's got something to catch everybody. Like the fact that I can still have the chorus in my head right now to me is a good sign, you know, after giving it a listen but that's something that came back to me definitely when i when that song came on i was like of course yeah that's that's a nice pop hit i like that one right it was really like it is what you want is it is almost like a transatlantic style of alternative pop like the uk at this point was transitioning into the very granular very detail-oriented brit pop type situation and America had long since gone all in on grunge and industrial. They and they don't screw around. They just jump right in. Yeah. <laughs> and this and this felt equally comfortable, though not completely comfortable, playing to either of those things. That's a very good point. Yeah, that song would work in either atmosphere, which was a very tough time for bands of that genre to figure out what they were going to do if they wanted to break an American market at the time. Well, for a lot of them, the answer was, you won't, except for Oasis. Yep. Did they come? No. I'm looking at the timeline in my brain. Didn't Oasis come along after Kurt had already died? Yes. At least to North America? I Yes. Yes. But, like, grunge was still happening until the end of the 90s. Yeah. It was still happening, but 
I, I, yeah, it's wrong for me to say that Kurt's death ended grunge because it sure as hell didn't. But uh, there was eventually a point where something broke and it kind of started going back into something more happy and fun because people were just tired of being sad, I think. No, that makes a lot of sense. Plus, this isn't my hot take, but I love this hot take, so I'm going to bring it out. Yeah. A genre of music is only ever like meant to have a lifespan of about six years. Okay. Where does this number come from? Um, I mean, it makes sense, but... It's just about how long it takes. Like, it's a high school... It's a junior high and high school experience, right? Like, Nevermind comes out... Nevermind comes out in 1991, 1992, changes music, ignites a fire, a bunch of other bands get caught up in that. They lead their normal lifespan. And by 1997, 1998, we have, like, another generation of high schoolers. Who want Britney. Who want... Yeah, who want basically the opposite of whatever the people before them had done. Is that because they're tired of it? Well, they haven't even heard it yet. They're too young. Like their parents listen to it, but they want to find music for themselves at that point. They don't want to listen to their parents' music anymore. Yeah, they're establishing their own identity, right? Like like we all did. In the same way that like Nirvana or Pearl Jam were in opposition to immaculately produced Def Leppard-style guitar music. After six years of something really like earnest and earthy and heartfelt, people found it a little bit exhausting and were ready to move on to something. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Five, six years. And then it's like, okay, we got to go. Actually, I think that lifespan's even shorter now, even though you're right how it aligns with your schooling years. But I don't think people have the same attention span they had in the 90s. I mean, that might be. Nowadays, like uh, just information at your fingertips and everything thrown at you constantly, like a wall of information. It's hard to say, like what your attention span would be like and how quickly you're going to move on to the next thing. And also, like it made the fact that charlatans were a going pop concern for 12 years, especially impressive. Like they outlasted two full generations and were still making music that was reaching a mass audience. In the UK, (laughs) in Canada, they were a college radio act. And so they would remain in the States. Couldn't even tell you. How massive were they in the UK? Like comparable to something that I would know here in Canada. Like if you could compare fame level. This album hit number eight on the UK albums chart, making it the second lowest charting album that they released in the 90s. Okay. Um, They hit number one three different times with Some Friendly, uh, the self-titled album that came immediately after this, and Telling Stories. They had number two albums twice with Us and Us Only and Wonderland during the decade, and only their second album between 10th and 11th missed the top 20. They have had a number of top 10 hits. They have headlined a number of big festivals, 22 top 40 singles over the course of 30 years. Damn, son. Yeah, yeah, no, they're not fucking around. This is <laughs> <laughs> this is what a they- big mainstream That's... alternative band in the UK sounded like in the mid 90s. They almost like I don't know about the emotional uh, aspect of the connection, but it's almost like tragically hit fame in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the Britpop bands did that. Like it was a little bit too specific to the culture from which they were coming yeah. to export well in the same way that the Tragically Hip or a Sloan or whatnot were doing mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Sloan's a good example. Odds. Yep. That kind of thing. There's a Canadiana sound to all three of those artists, so yeah, I, there's, can, I can sense that with this uh, UK connection and the yeah, relatives for sure. There's a real specificity to it. And like 
if it was happening in the UK and happening here, I'm assuming it was happening elsewhere. Like if you told me that New Zealand had a thriving power pop scene made up of bands that no one had ever heard of because they were so New Zealand that it made absolutely no sense in any other context. Good old Kiwi tunes, man. I would shrug my shoulders and go, yeah, sure, probably. I believe it, yeah. That checks out to me. The singles here uh, from this one didn't hit quite the same level as the ones that they would be releasing like a year or two years later, in spite of the fact that I love them. Do you want to play Guess the Singles? Okay, sure. I'm down. Three singles were released off of this record. Okay. Can you name them? Can't Get Out of Bed is obviously a single, because I heard it here. Can't Get Out of Bed was their first single, and it hit number 24 on the UK singles charts, while being a decent-sized college radio hit in Canada. Jesus Hairdo. You'd be correct. Jesus Hairdo is the third single released from this album, reaching number 48 on the UK singles chart. So we literally have the one and number three. Number two would be... I'm going to go with another writer up in flames. Oh, unfortunately, you are incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) You have, have, for the record, done better at this game than literally (laughs) anyone who has ever played it with two out of three. And you should be proud of that fact. The third single was I Never Want an Easy Life. If me and he were ever to get there, it hit number 38 on the UK singles chart. In spite of having a title that is objectively too long. <laughs> That's where Follow Boy learned how to do that shit, I guess, eh? Right? Uh, another writer up in flames, it just struck me as another one that was easy to digest. I figured the easier, more pop-worthy, pop-conscious the song sounds, the more likely it would be a single. That makes a ton of sense. Probably if this were like a couple of years later in their career when they could get a fourth single off of an album released. Yeah. It might have been. Because, like, this was very much a three-single album life cycle. By the time the third one came out, they were probably already back in the studio. They were on a, like, one-year, two-year schedule. And they were not, at that moment, a big enough band that they could take the break for that, put in a fourth single, and have it do anything. Like, they were already kind of falling out of the top 40 by the third one. And they had a batch of new songs to get out, which well, is fair. Well, well. What's I going to say about a few of these songs with my notes, specifically the certain songs? I really like Up To Our Hips, the title track, because the bass line was great, like right off the bat. It reminded me of Muse a bit. Mm. I got some Muse flavor out of that song. Very cool intro, and the vocal was a bit deeper in, in the uh, first verse. It's, and it also it was one of those songs that has, I think, one of the better choruses on the album, too. All musical speaking. Like, once again, I couldn't really digest the lyrics very well, but I could barely make them out, to be quite honest. That's fair. And yeah, these guys are a lot more about building uh, one massive groove and then seeing how long they can ride it for. Yeah. Um, One song that just seemed to, like, grow and grow and grow till it climaxed at the end was I Never Want an Easy Life, if me and he were to ever get there. Because, like, I was like, okay, there's a verse, and then there's instruments instrumental okay so the chorus and like does this song even have a chorus maybe it doesn't well i don't think that structure was what they were going for they weren't doing the typical verse pre-chorus type thing and it just grew and grew and grew until the intensity pops at the end of it yeah it was almost a precursor to how pop music today will use drops instead of a chorus Uh uh-huh and instead of something you hum along to a build and then release of tension which 
is a different way to appreciate music than what I grew up with, but still a very effective one. Yes, it doesn't uh, happen that often. And when it does, it's it gets your attention, that's for sure. Yeah, and they're great for that. Like There is a joy on this record. It is my go-to good mu- mood music. It is made entirely of exuberance, and it is hard to not feel better when it's done than when you started for me. And that mm. is something that we need today, oh, yeah. especially. Like All of my dark music has gone into a box for the last couple of months. <laughs> Yeah, good call. Good call. I have gone full the king from Last Unicorn. I only want things in my life that make me happy. And that is something that I get from this. That and the fact that you get the really strong impression that these guys are friends in real life. Just from listening to the songs? For me, at least. Like, there's a real there's a real sense of camaraderie for this and yeah. always. And there's they clearly, like, love playing together. This, I can, I can hear. And it was like based off a comment I made earlier where you could tell that they were tight, at least tight in the studio. I could see them playing this live and being just as familiar with the songs and what the other band members are going to do in the right places, which is a sign of a tight camaraderie. Absolutely. Yeah. Like they feel like a family. Like you don't get the impression one way or the other, whether uh, Maroon 5 or Imagine Dragons are friends in real life. Like they might be. They were at one point, they formed a band together, but it doesn't come across in the music that they're making. No, it, oh, fucking Maroon 5. That's a whole other story for me. That's a band that I loved off the first album, and I got that sense then, but now it just seems like radio drivel, written specifically to be commercial. Absolutely no passion in it whatsoever. They're rhyming you with ooh. That's what Maroon 5 That's what Maroon 5 does now. You and ooh do rhyme. Like how fucking boring. How unimaginative. But they used to have really cool pop hooks that were based off something deeper than four chords. They had more than that going on. I'm on a tangent. I need to rein it in. Do you know what? I do my best to support an open and inclusive notion that every band is someone's favorite band. But yeah, I don't listen to Maroon 5 on purpose. That's <laughs> And I will tell you, I still like some of their songs, but the last five years, no, I don't like any of it. And yet they've never been more popular. That makes me angry at society. (laughs) Yeah, like they've they figured out something that other bands did not know. Because like what other guitar bands are getting on the radio at all? They put down the guitar. That's why they're getting on the radio. Yeah, there is that. That's the problem. Everything that they put out now sounds synthesized. Yeah. I'm like old man who yells at Cloud right now. That's how I feel about Maroon 5. That's fine. I got opinions on Maroon 5. I would rather be listening to this. I would rather be listening to the Charlottes any day. And I'm imagining it's got to sound great live. You're right. Like, Mm -hmm. I do want to catch these guys live one of these days. When the pandemic's over, we're allowed outside and concerts are a thing again. And my credit card is paid off after months of not going to work because there is a plague. And I can afford to fly to the UK and also planes are safe. And I can crowd in with people to catch a charlatan's gig. <laughs> because planes are safe and... I may not catch the charlatan's live. <laughs> well, that should be a goal. And that maybe, sounds like a good goal to have. Maybe they'll come to Calgary. Tim from Charlatans, you're extremely online. You may or may not be listening to this. Bring your band to Calgary or Vancouver. Or Edmonton. S- or Edmonton. We have a nice new arena that you can come check out. I truly do not know that these guys are selling out arenas in Canada. 
Well, maybe they'll play the jube. You know, that, that seems like a nice venue for them. But I get the sense when these guys play live that they're one of those bands that will continue to jam on the songs and improv a bit while they're playing because of that camaraderie that we stated earlier. Yeah, they have fun together. And Tim, if you don't follow him on Twitter, is one of the most overwhelmingly joyful and positive people in the world. Fantastic. And and it is deeply lovable. You know that thing where there's a musician that you like and then he goes on Twitter and he says something like vaguely racist about the pandemic going on, Brian Adams? (laughs) (laughs) Him from Charlottes is the opposite of that. Everything that he does comes from a really honest and sincere place of love, which I always kind of knew because I've read his biography and I've listened to his music and I've read interviews and whatnot. And it was no surprise at all that he was the one who figured out, well, what we got to do is all put on the same record and then talk about that record for an hour out of the day. And then the fact that we don't get to see each other will be less bad. Right. That's sweet. Sounds endearing. It's really good. It's really good. Uh, he actually he actually did this record while I was taking notes on it. I'm going to literally look look up. I want to see what they look like. I have no idea what they look like. Yeah, absolutely. Is that bad? Is that bad that that's important to me in any way? No, not at all. Got to get a, get a good look at you chaps. And you said there's five of them in the band. Oh, they have the most basic website I've ever seen. Could be a GeoCity site. You never know. Remember those days? <laughs> I vaguely do. <laughs> Okay, I'll look at their Facebook page. That'll be nice. That's probably the better call. Okay, cool. Cool. Oh, he's got a real uh, Cobain-esque hairdo. Is yeah, that Tim? Got, uh, yep. Tim's got okay. the extreme bowl cup going on. Extreme. It's 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 long. It's long. But yeah, these guys are probably in their 50s now, hey? That's that my guess. That is probably correct. Yeah. Because their first record came out in 90. Well, excellent. And it's like you have uh, a really big fan base there, too. They have a lot of likes on their page. A lot of a big following. I like that. Yeah, they're holding it down. They um, survived as an ongoing pop concern through Madchester and Britpop and also that weird late 90s, early 2000s genre of indie music where all of the bands were chill out bands. And I don't understand why that happened. Oh, explain that to me more, because I don't think that's where I was at that time. I I was all about the boy band stuff happening. Um, After Britpop ended in the UK, there was a wave of like your Travis's or Keen or Doves or Star Sailor. James was actually much earlier in the 90s. Oh, okay. But yeah, all of the bands were like kind of chilled out, mid-tempo groups. This is the scene that Coldplay originally came out of back when Coldplay was an indie band. It's a weird genre of music. While it was happening, I wondered why it exists. Like, what was the point of it? Yeah, like, why does every band have to make chill-out music? This is meant to be an alternative rock scene. But it's one of those things where as I age into chill-out music, all of those bands grow more and more in my estimation, because I'm a lot more likely to put a record on and open a book than I am to jump into a mosh pit. (laughs) That's where they get you. We'll put this all out now, and these guys will really appreciate it in about 15 or 20 years. You know what? Did work. Doves, good (laughs) as hell. I am looking forward to their comeback album this year. Or maybe they always were, maybe they weren't, they were already trying to appeal to the older people at that time. Or, well, yeah, what was the goal? Because if it was to be successful in 20 years, you nailed it. Yeah. And like they were successful at the time. It's just, a weird sound to be all over indie radio. And Charlatans made it through 
all of those different styles of indie by instead of adapting to them the way that like a Coldplay or a Maroon 5 have done to changing fashion in music, they instead maintained a sense of self at their core. They still were true to themselves. Yeah, like they would they would update their sound and they would stretch out and they would experiment and they've got some interesting like funkier choices there was a period where they moved from the uk to los angeles and started making music there but there was always a core of who they were at the center holding it together that really appealed i think overall that's one of the most appealing qualities in a band i've never been a fan of the term sellout because i think that it's thrown around loosely i think that sellout doesn't necessarily mean sellout sometimes it means people are finally exploring what they wanted to do all along what the record company wouldn't let them or they're growing in what they're interested in doing so i don't like that term that being said you can still tell when someone's doing that when it's legitimate and they're still being honest with themselves and honest with who they were originally in my opinion yeah they were throughout a band that while listening to it you go patrol should be the theme song for a TV cop show. Yeah, that organ intro. Right? There you go. Okay, hear me out. The show is a period piece set in the 1970s, but it's got an anachronistic early 90s soundtrack, and it's going to run for 10 episode seasons on either HBO or Netflix, and it will also be called Patrol. I've already got it all organized. We'll, <laughs> we'll cut the song down to the organ and then the mess up my mind, mess up my mind, mess up my mind, you mess up my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then we play that over a car driving through a 1970s style crime city. I don't know what the big crime cities in the UK were in the 1970s. I'm sure somebody from the UK who wants to be in the writer's room for my terribly disorganized television program could tell me but i picture like a 70s chicago type situation i like that you picked chicago that's my favorite city for shit to go down chicago deserves a cop drama set in the 1970s on hbo with a charlatan soundtrack it's just what they need it's what, what they've asked all, for all these years it's what we all need right now <laughs> have you been to chicago i have never been to chicago i love it i went but yeah? i was only there for a day but it, and it, actually, it was to see the band that of uh, the album that I picked for you. That's why oh, I nice. went there. Nice. That's why I went there. Yeah, beautiful yeah, city. In terms of visiting the states, I have visited Vegas for douchebag-related reasons. What else would you go to Vegas for? Can't imagine. <laughs> and while I keep threatening to follow a band from Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, I had yet to pull the trigger on which band. When the whole mm, world shut down. Fair enough. But that's is that a bucket list idea for you? I think that'd be a fun as hell road trip. Why don't you take it all the way to L.A. so you can do the uh, Pacific Coast Highway if, if it allows you to? I mean, that's certainly an option that could be pursued. Yeah. Those three all tend to get hit on consecutive days if you're looking up tickets. Okay. It's just how tours are planned that way. Yeah. So you can like drive out to Seattle show show the next day show the day after that head home less than a week speaking of which tim if you're listening <laughs> that's a fantastic idea for you right except he's not touring charlatans right now what is he's he got, doing besides well, being locked sit, down sitting at home going slowly mad but yeah. in terms of his career he's got a uh, solo record coming out 
I love the new Sky, which is probably going to be excellent. Uh, as we're recording, it's not out. But by the time people hear this, it might be. And that is the magic of podcasting. But if it's available when you hear this, you should go buy the new Tim Burris record. And if it's not, I can't help you. Is it Burgess or Burgess? Burgess. Burgess? Okay. Yeah, I think. But yeah, I've pre-ordered mine. It's going to show up at my house once there's mail again. Did you get vinyl? Of course. You're a vinyl guy? Yeah. How many records you got? Probably too many. That's a good number. Yeah. I yeah. Uh, I do a mix of vinyl and Spotify. Okay, cool. Yeah. When I switched to Spotify, I realized that for the amount of money that I was spending on iTunes, I could <laughs> easily afford three or four records a month. Yeah. So everything I listen to, I listen to on Spotify. And then bands that I like and I want to like actually support in a financial way, because I know how Spotify is toward the bands on it yep. financially, mm-hmm. I will go to my way to buy on vinyl. I have a look at Spotify as a good way to discover people, too, with the fact of how they tailor their playlists so you can discover music that you like. And then you can decide, hey, I'm going to put a little more uh, investment into this artist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the bread and butter of the music industry is touring, which is not happening now. So it's a good time to invest in people in other ways. You could buy bands that you like on vinyl, or you could buy t-shirts from their website, or you could yeah, merch. have them make enough money that they still exist as a band in a couple of <laughs> years yeah. for you to see. I will say on behalf of all of the younger Gen Xers out there, when we all pirated all of our music for three years, all of the bands that we like split up because they had no money. And we don't want a repeat of that. That's right. I remember that when Napster came out and I was like, yes. You know what the big thing for me was, though? The ability that I didn't have to order imports anymore. I spent so goddamn much money Imports bullying HMV into importing. Okay, I got, it wasn't even on CD, it was a cassette that I wanted so badly of Dweezil Zappa because Nuno Betancourt was on it. And I spent probably 30 or 40 bucks getting that cassette. Oh my God. I could have bought it off their website, but I chose not to because that's not how my relationship with this band works. I bullied my local record store into importing the most recent Suede album, The Blue Hour. Yeah. Because harassing record stores into importing (laughs) Suede for me was an important part of my relationship with the band during the 1990s. I wonder, did they see you coming and they're like, oh, shit, here comes Monroe again. I mean, presumably not. Like, they don't release (laughs) music that often. Let's go, let's go. Pay them all the goddamn money. That's true. (laughs) You know, if I worked at, oh, that was one of the dreams I had as a child was to work at HMV. But they always had a stack of resumes. And from the people I know who actually worked there, they said it wasn't that great. No, I mean, it's a corporate chain place at the end of the day. But it, it's a great place to work when you're young. Yeah, I would think. I would say, as a kid. But then you don't want to do that paperwork importing things for people because you're young. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss HMV. Sunrise is doing an all right job, though. Sunrise is doing okay. I have an HMV branded canvas vinyl tote bag that I got Mm. in the UK because they still have HMVs there. Yeah. It's weird that I want merch from this. It's retro merch now, at least here. But I spent a very huge chunk of my childhood in HMV. If my mom didn't know where I was in the mall, she could find me there every time. Absolutely. 
HMV or Recordland, or there is a giant stone bank downtown that I guess in Calgary. Yeah, that I guess is a heritage building or something because they definitely have torn down everything other than it, and it used to be an A and B Sound. Oh, I loved A and B Sound. Now they actually had imports of things I wanted without me having to ask for them. Right. A lot of times it was just there. Would they still charge you twice as much as normal? Yes, but you didn't have to wait weeks for it to arrive. Yeah, the selection at A&B was incredible. Truly was. Yeah, A&B were great, then HMV, then Sam the Record Man. This is my definitive ranking of 90s music stores in Canada. Now, did you grow up in Calgary or Edmonton? I grew up um, both cities. I grew up between both cities. Okay, because I'm trying to recall where we would have had a Sam. We had a... I think it was called A&M Music. Uh, we had Music World. I remember Music World. We must have had a Sam somewhere in Edmonton, but if anyone knows. <laughs> I could quickly Surely. turn this into some all talk on you. That is very true. And uh, and yeah, this was this was a band that were just big enough that I didn't have to get them imported. Mm-hmm. If I had wanted the singles for the B-sides, I would have had to. But you know what? It's 1994. You're in high school. There are only so many bands that you can harass HMV into shipping you singles so that you can get the B-sides off. And I was already committed to spending hundreds of dollars on B-sides by both Suede and Gene that would later be released on a B-sides compilation if I had had the patience to wait an extra two years. Who has the patience for that? You need to hear these songs now. I mean, in high school, no one, right? No, no, you want it right now. And instant gratification in the 90s is a lot different than what it is now. Because now it's legitimately instant. But back then it was like, nope, nope, I need this. I need, like, here's all my money. And it'll be here in a a week or two. Yeah. If you wanted it, you needed to wait weeks for it to show up. If you wanted Mm -hmm. to share it with somebody, you had to put headphones on their head and go, no, you should be listening to Can't Get Out of Bed by the goddamn charlatans. (laughs) Oh, that's fun. And Inside Looking Out is a really fun track to end on uh, for me. Like, just another massive wall of groove. The you know, has to sound really good live. Like, it brings a real sense of climax and event to the record. It definitely makes the wrap up like a nice package. That's part of the importance of releasing a full album. You know what I mean? And that art is missing nowadays. But this album definitely has that feel where it's like a, an ebb and flow throughout the entire thing. I feel like it wraps up nicely the way it started at the end. Yeah, like you have you have been taken on an emotional journey by the time this piece of music is over. Any other band would end their shows during this tour. But yeah, for Charlatans, a couple of years previous to this, they put out a record that ended with the song Sprost and Green, which I would heartily recommend anyone check out. And that is basically the platonic ideal climax song to build a gig toward. And I think they just end every concert with it for 30 solid years, if (laughs) I'm getting the vibe correctly. And listening to it, I cannot argue against it. Sprost and Green is a perfect end to a set. They sell a t-shirt that is green with the word Sproston across it. I have no idea what it's in reference to, but it's a great (laughs) way to end an album. (laughs) Great way to end a show. Great way to end a podcast, I guess, because we're getting to that point. I'm going to end with three questions, because I end with three questions. Okay. Naomi, you ever going to listen to Up To Our Hips again? Maybe. Yeah? I haven't decided. 
I think Fair. maybe to review, maybe maybe especially to review the things that we talked about and that what I've learned from you today about them that I would again. But like I said, it's not generally the style that I am accustomed to listening to. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, are you going to explore the Charlatans catalog any further? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, if you uh, if you want to go more in the style of dance music with heavy heavy organ, their debut "Some Friendly" was fantastic. If you want to hear them in more of a guitar and melody forward mode, their self-titled one from immediately after this that is just called Charlatans is my other favorite Charlatans record. Like it was a very close thing, which of these two was going to be the one that I wanted to talk about. Or Telling Stories, which is where they had all their pop hits. Or Wonderland, which had more of like a funky, all right, any of them, don't care. Yeah. <laughs> well, the fact the fact that you you said earlier that they had a dance history that was more something that that intrigues me. Yeah, so. I would heartily recommend you check out Some Friendly. The only one I know you'll also immediately recognize is one of those. Oh, okay, I knew the song, I just didn't know who it was by. Mm-hmm. Type moments. And finally, if you could end the episode on any song from this album, what song from this album would you pick? Ooh, uh, I'm going to go with another Rider Up in Flames. Done. We're going to close it out on another Rider Up in Flames. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Follow us along with us at SoundtrackCast on Facebook and Twitter, SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, share us, rate us, review us. Treat us like a podcast. You know what to do with a podcast. It's 2020. You're listening to a podcast. You have to know how to interact with a podcast by this point in human history. You have nothing to do but sit at home interacting with podcasts. Naomi, you got anything you want to plug? No, I'll just tell everybody once again to come check out Dope Nostalgia. We talk about a lot of obscure 90s artists and some not so obscure, and we interview a lot of them too. So Dope Nostalgia on wherever podcasts are served. Wherever podcasts are served. I am vaguely jealous that you get actual people from the bands on, but then I remember that I mostly do this so that my friends can tell me about records that they like, and I feel like it would interfere with that central thesis. It would totally change the what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I want like to hang out with people while they share their favorite record with me. Speaking of which, this has been the soundtrack to a life. We're going to be back in two weeks with an incredibly different record from this. I don't think that it could be more different from this. <laughs> Although our next record is extremely different from this is kind of my catchphrase. So maybe it could be. You're being punny, aren't you? I am. Oh. See you in two weeks, guys!